0: Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff, or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at bmb21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is Sunday, November 22nd. It's been a long time. Um, Market closed at 355.33, that's SPY, on Friday. And yeah, kind of trading up a bit from last time we recorded this. Uh, Sean Bush, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, are you excited for the holidays, Ben? Because I uh, can't get enough of this Christmas music. Not true. But uh, if they cancel the holidays, will Santa still bring me a PS5? I'm, I'm a little concerned about that.
0: I'm thinking Santa will still be able to travel. He can probably get there in a socially distanced manner. Uh, for the Hanukkah celebrators among us, uh, I'm, I'm bullish on a eight crazy nights of December um, hanging out with my family in a socially distanced way. Long menorahs definitely long menorahs. So uh, this is a much different time than last time we talked. I think when we talked at the end of October, the election was all the rage. Since then, it appears we do have a president. um, And it looks like there are some strong vaccine candidates um, coming online. So feeling good. I I feel like there's a lot of the obstacles the market had to clear have been cleared. Your thoughts? Well, I don't know that we have a president
1: just yet this by what CNN says and I'll, I'll believe it when the fat orange haired lady sings uh, but until then we got plenty of legal hand-ring to be expected but yeah since we last spoke which I believe was actually just after the election we're in the midst of uh, a pretty crazy uh, post-election pump could be unwinding of shorts could be a response to the fact that I guess the world was not on fire therefore the worst case scenario that was theoretically priced in uh, was no longer the case. Uh, but since then, uh, the market's really sort of been dominated by two uh, successive vaccine pumps. Uh, the first one coming with the news that the Pfizer vaccine was 90% effective. Uh, this coming just before market open on uh, Monday, uh, three weeks uh, from before when this, this podcast was being recorded, uh, we saw the SPY s p 500 index jump up to a new all-time high. Pretty massive uh, overnight move, um, basically about 10 points, and then immediately start selling off. And that that day in particular really set the tone for the next two weeks. As that vaccine na- news came out, we saw uh, the S&P 500 instantly uh, start spiking in price while the Qs uh, started selling off in momentum stocks, which had been all the rage for the last couple of months selling off. While all of the uh, beaten down transports, travel, uh, in different back-to-work stocks instantly saw a nice bump and short squeeze. Well, since then, we've seen sort of SPY uh, revert to the mean with all those growth stocks, which had been sold off, uh, coming back to similar levels to before that pump, showing that you know maybe a lot of the excitement around that vaccine news was a little preemptive. Uh, and then this past Monday, we see news that there is the uh, even more effective Moderna vaccine Uh, After phase two trials, note, both of these are basically self-reported results. You know, we still need to see uh, more substantial uh, data, hopefully in some type of peer-reviewed journal or something like that um, before we really start. Marking uh, somewhere in the calendar where we think things might be going back to to normal. But that second Moderna pump, while definitely seeing similar action before market on last Monday, uh, was not able to push the S&P 500 nearly as high. And we did not see uh, the Nasdaq and also gold as well uh, sell off, basically holding at the same level, uh, indicating probably some diminished returns um, to that vaccine pump. So here we are after sort of that that post election three week cycle, definitely up and definitely a lot of people getting along. In fact, I believe I heard that we are, uh, hedge funds at least, are now as long as they've ever been collectively. So there's definitely a lot of optimism moving forward with the vaccine news. But uh, if we are to look at the news, which again, price action is the only thing that matters, don't, don't necessarily trade on news, it seems like the more pressing. Uh, situation that could be affecting markets and sentiment is this looming dark winter, uh, to use um, Biden's words or second wave, whatever you want to call it, but the likelihood of a lockdown and uh, more of a return to staying at home, uh, both from work and also um, in terms of lifestyle, dining, everything else before we really have a vaccine and open up. So I think that continues to be the trend moving forward. But what's really interesting to me is that after making that huge new all-time high on the Pfizer news, we couldn't make a new all-time high in the following two weeks. So considering how sort of fast we ran up post-election, uh, there definitely looks to be some risk to me in the very immediate term. Uh, and this is really bullish in in terms of if we are going to move up to sort of the, 3,700, 3,800, or 370, 380 on the SPY, or even as high as the 4,000 range by the end of the year. As a lot of prognosticators and fintwit furus uh, have been calling for, we definitely need to to recheck at a a, another level, have a higher low here. So uh, a a stop off at the 348 or you know 350 range, or even as low as 333, 335. Uh, would be a, a very reasonable thing to reset the bull market. So you know, while I still see a lot of you know, what has been driving the, the trend the last few months being the case, and we can get into some of the news that might change that, uh, it seems like the next move would definitely be down, catch a lot of people flat-footed uh, with everyone being so long. And once it gets to a level where uh, the market starts thinking that they need to be hedging more, you set up the stage for a nice big short squeeze a la the election. So a couple of signs pointing to that. I mean, last week, um, relatively low volume to the pretty massive amount of volume we saw, especially on the day of that Pfizer announcement. But there were a number of very large spy dark pool prints. Now, it's hard to tell tell if these are buys or sells, um, but the nature and size of these indicates that it's probably the same person, uh, amounting to over $4 billion worth of prints um, between uh, Tuesday and Friday of last week. So knowing that there's only a couple of in- uh, investment banks that even have that much uh, spy, it does look like someone is unwinding a position, uh, and we can get into who some of those players might be. And I'll give you a few guesses. But to me, if if I'm looking at what the the signs are telling me, you know, we haven't been able to make a new high, and we do have you know a lot of uh, daylight below us to to explore in the near future. Um, I'm, I'm not saying sell your longs, uh, but I probably wouldn't be buying at this particular moment. I think you'll have another great entry. Um, and then also to use sort of the, the crystal ball, uh, if we look at the timing of when we have seen other major corrections, obviously there was the COVID shutdown crash back in March, but we saw pretty substantial corrections in June and then the beginning of September. Um, based on that sort of cadence, uh, we could expect something uh, of, of a five to 10% sort of correction variety um in, in the late november early december time frame so with the next full moon a beaver moon as a matter of fact uh occurring on the 30th of november it does seem right that we'll have a little bit of correction before you can get uh super long with both hand and fist and, and look to capitalize
0: on you know some some major move to new all-time highs i may be the dumb money here because i was buying last week and i do expect to look for entry points in the coming week for me, and again, I, I acknowledge your point that price action is all that matters. I have no special insight into any of the vaccine candidates. All I do know is from my perspective, it seems like reality is beating expectations here on the bull side. Um, you know, you go back to the summer where actually a lot of stocks were trading higher than they are now. Uh, and I, I'm referring mainly to the back to work type stocks. I don't think anybody was expecting a vaccine to be 95% effective and coming online by the end of the year. Back then, uh, it seemed we had to have exceeded on the upside there. Uh, more stimulus seems to be on the way. I mean, I, I think ultimately we're looking at two quarters probably ahead of where the market expected to be in terms of stuff reopening. Um, as it pertains to, like the dark winter stuff, certainly cases have been on the rise. But like you're going to write off one month, two months of, of earnings for some companies, and then all systems go. You know, come June 2021 plus. To me, it all scratches out. So. I did look to add to some positions um, that I think are particularly impacted kind of by lockdown concerns. Um, I've written about in the newsletter, the movie theater stocks I own. And again, I I think movie theaters continue to be an extremely interesting area. If you like the liquidity and the capitalization of some of the names, obviously for an AMC or some of the more uh, battle tested and uh, vulnerable names, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you're looking at like a Cinemark or National Cinemedia, as I wrote in the letter, like you're, you know, you have 12 months plus of liquidity, so they can easily survive one month, two months of cash burn. So, this is all to say, um, I think the market didn't react strongly enough to, you know, two vaccine candidates. It seems like Regeneron has a therapeutic out that just got approval today. Um, despite the huge increase in cases, it seems like hospitalizations continue to, to go down as a percentage of cases. It seems like deaths continue to go down as a percentage of cases. So, it, you know, the headline numbers don't seem to necessarily correlate with perhaps like what the real problems in the system would be. To me, that was always hospital capacity. That was always people dying from this disease. So yeah, I, I can't help but feel bullish. And I can't help but think that like 2021, at least from an earnings perspective, is going to be a pretty great year. I mean, I think a lot of companies should beat 2019. Um, this, is, this isn't to say that the market will necessarily go up because obviously multiple expansion and contraction is something I can't predict. But like a lot of companies I own, I expect they're going to have a way better 2021 than 2020. I guess the question is, is the market pricing this in or does this even matter? Uh, So tell me why I'm wrong on reasons to be bullish. Uh, I guess November, December, granted, like short term, I don't know. But like, am I right to be bullish on 2021?
1: I, I do absolutely think that you are right to be bullish on on 2020 run. I, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to think that we are about to embark on a sustained uh, down leg, even though uh, th- there does seem to be consensus for some type of drawdown in the future as we sort of exhaust this credit bubble and, you know, rates eventually do need to come up, which is basically impossible with the, the current market dynamic. However, I do think it might be front-running uh, a lot of the, the I won't call it back to work, but return to normal uh, plays in, in, in a lot of ways, just because I don't think we know what the complexion of post-COVID uh, normalcy will be like in terms of once people have spent what will probably be at least a year uh, without a lot of these uh, amenities, whether that be going to theaters or or dining out, uh, e- even if these are available to them and there is some pent up demand, I think folks have sort of adjusted or adapted to a different way of of doing things or a different lifestyle. Which I think it remains to be seen whether we can actually begin, you know, projecting out previous uh, returns on future outlooks without knowing how how people are going to return. I mean, if if like airline. Travel is anything. And there's news on Friday that, you know, TSA data showed that we surpassed one million airline travelers for the first time uh, post COVID. And so I guess that's encouraging news. But um, that's one curve that's definitely been flattened, which is the uh, return to travel for for Americans mean business travel still not back. Uh, leisure travel is still definitely there, but borders not as open as one would hope, um, and I think that there's still a, a very indeterminate time frame for when a vaccine is actually able to make a, a major impact on um, commerce and how people do business. So, you know, I, I agree that is bullish, but I do think that there is a bit of jumping the gun there, just because you know to be selling off a lot of these stay-at-home stocks like Zoom, definitely. Uh, so I saw a pretty big outflow uh, following that that Pfizer news. I, I don't necessarily believe in that stock per se, but uh, I don't think that the the selling is is necessarily uh, necessary in those cases, or was definitely a lot of those names were oversold. So great great value there. Um, well, well, investing wise, I think there's a lot of great value to be found in some of those retail plays, or especially with with movie theaters. I think that you know that capital in the short term, at least, can still be deployed with a lot of these momentum names that really have been rocking the market um, over the the last several months. uh, And they still continue to provide opportunities um, with a lot of these these, um, cloud-based stocks that you and I have been talking about a lot on the show uh, and some of these new new financial uh, or or payment processing stocks sitting right at or below all-time highs. I think there's still a great trade opportunity there once some of those do cross over that all-time high uh, limit. so you can sit and wait on on you know this Cinemark and GameStop and Hertz stock that I'm sure you're dying to buy more of, uh, but you can deploy that capital a lot more effectively just sort of going back to the well in the near term, um, assuming that you buy dips. I do not think that this is the end of growth and momentum by by any means. There's nothing to really indicate that, especially considering the the strength they've shown in the last couple of weeks as. Uh, The NASDAQ has really done nothing in the last three months holding stable, and the S&P 500 has found heavy overhead supply every time making a new high, meaning that we're not finding a lot of acceptance at those higher levels. Um, But some of our favorite stocks, like, like CrowdStrike and Square, have just been chugging along. Um, And are looking to make a a strong move up there. So I don't disagree with you. And I think there's a lot to be bullish about in 2021. uh, But I think we still got a lot of action to look forward here in 2020. And I I think it would be a mistake to trivialize them. Uh, One, not being hedged for the likelihood of a a serious correction or two, you know, failing to to capitalize on the the end end stage blow off top of some of these uh, growth and stay owned stocks.
0: Are completely logical. Um, I do think there was one piece of news also that came out that might stop the bulls in their tracks just a bit. Um, you know, we always talk about don't fight the Fed. It appears that the Treasury might be fighting the Fed and stopping them from doing what they're mandated to do. So talk a little bit about some news that broke this week uh, that will affect the Fed's ability to help the market.
1: Yeah, so we saw this news come out on Thursday. in quoting a Bloomberg article that came out the same day. Uh, the Trump administration moved Thursday to end several emergency pandemic lending programs at the Federal Reserve, triggering a rare public rift when the central bank objected to the Treasury Department's instruction. So Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, in a letter to Fed... Chairman Powell saw a 90-day extension for four of the central bank's emergency lending programs while requesting five other programs expire on schedule on December 31st. And the Fed return unused funds, allowing Congress to reappropriate $455 billion and spend the money elsewhere. Uh, last little thing here, Fed responded in a short statement that it would prefer that the full suite of emergency facilities established during the coronavirus pandemic continue to serve their important role as a backstop for our still-strained and vulnerable economy. So a couple of different ways to read this, and I've seen some some varying uh, responses to what this means. On on the one hand, uh, this probably is the bears frothing at the mouth. Uh, in terms of the the helicopter money that really have been propping things up uh, for for the this post COVID run uh, appears to to be pulling out of the market. That being the you know federal stimulus, despite the fact that the Fed is still there providing. Uh, many, many of its programs with QE and and otherwise. But I I think you can't read too heavily into this because most of these schedules or most of these programs, which were part of the CARES Act, are scheduled to end on December 31st anyways. So on the one hand, you know, there should be priced in, even though there is an expectation for more stimulus and the Fed put is still there. I guess you don't have the additional government juice backing up that Fed put so in theory, you know, this is a good sign if it's perceived that uh, these programs are no longer needed due to strength, primarily of equity prices, which is apparently how we uh, measure the strength of the economy now. Um, so they wouldn't be necessary anyways. Um, but the Fed coming out and and stating that they would prefer, you know, to sell the full suite shows that there there is definitely not a consensus on this being the right approach. So I think a, a worst case interpretation of this. You know, scorched earth policy by the Trump administration uh, trying to sort of reverse course here while they've been pumping the market as much as they could going into the election uh, with an uncertain outcome. You know, a, a more cynical reader could read into this that they are looking to dump things and crash the market before a potential Biden administration. So I think that might be a bit of an extreme interpretation. Uh, And, you know, we didn't see a ton of action around this news, despite seeing that weakness at the end of the week. Uh, But I do think this means that uh, there, There isn't quite the same tailwind that we had, even if a lot of that tailwind is just expectations for more stimulus. But uh, this definitely should at least be marked in the bear category as not necessarily being good news or something that would pump the market. Um, but I don't think it means that that rug pull is, is imminent.
0: Definitely. I mean, it worries me because it makes me think that Jerome Powell knows something We don't. I mean, frankly, I would never want to own any companies that did need a Fed backstop. But if everything stops, you know, we see something like the commercial paper markets freezing that happened in 08 or 09. You know, every company will need a backstop. So the innocuous explanation is he just wants to be safe rather than sorry. Uh, The more sinister one is, as you said, there's there's something on the horizon we don't know about that could be a bad economic event. Um, I mean, it wasn't just that kind of uh, in terms of more arrows in the bear quiver um we saw JPM uh had a pretty bearish uh prediction for 2021 and Bill Ackman making some moves that suggest he's not perhaps a believer in corporate credit. Uh your thoughts on those?
1: So this this ties in nicely with with some of the dark pool activity that I mentioned on the top with large spy blocks being transacted and based on the prices uh since they were transacted at a higher price than uh the spy closed at that day. Um it would lead one to infer those are, are probably sells. Uh, so it definitely looks like some type of institutional activity. So you know that the investment banks and our boy, Bill Ackman, don't just cry on TV for the, the good of, of, you know, mankind and, and everyone else It's because they have a position, right? So they're, they're trying to, uh, get, get the public perception, uh, in line with, with their current position. So, uh, JP Morgan, um, coming out with an, in six, expected GDP contraction um, on the order of, uh, well, contract by about 1% after a growth of 2.8% in the fourth quarter um, is definitely bearish news. The market hasn't really responded to the uh, frightening GDP contraction uh, earlier this year so much. Um, and I don't necessarily read into this as a piece of news, meaning that trade uh, against this piece of news. But what it does tell me is that smart money is, Lining up to at best hedge, um, but most likely looking for a near term short trade. Um, And as much as Bill Ackman has been prayed for, you know, what what some pundits would say is the greatest trade of all time uh, with his hedge back in March uh, that turned something like 27 million into 4 billion, uh, I think he's probably feeling a little full of himself and trying to do that again. Um, So if this is what smart money is doing and hedge funds are net long, it feels to me that long trade is very crowded. Uh, so even if there is a lot of bullishness and optimism, you know, a crowded trade is going to get blown up. The market finds the best way to deliver the most pain to the most people. So if, if Ackman and JP Morgan are front running some type of correction here, you know, I'm I'm definitely looking to get in front of it or at least not going full long or expecting those those new all time highs here. So, you know, this reads into what the players are doing and thinking. I don't know what this really, you know, means on on the market. We've seen plenty of outlandish numbers and and outlooks from from different Goldman Sachs and JPM analysts. So always take it with a grain of salt, but you know that they've got some some money where their mouth is.
0: Yeah, I, I try to always take the bullish perspective on everything. So I can't speak to the JP Morgan prediction. On the Ackman one, I mean, many of the articles I read said his his thinking here was I can buy the same protection I bought in February and March for the same price, despite the fact that we now know the dangers of COVID, so the risk actually should be higher. I'm not sure how much I agree with that thinking. If anything, like we're we're more protected against it because we know the potential harm that could come. Uh, So it's unfair to predict the same type of fallout. That said, like if he's making a value bet, I mean. That's what Bill Ackman is paid to do, right? Like if you like the price of protection, you don't necessarily have to say it's likely to have them, but on a probability, weighted basis, if you can get there, you can get there. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't necessarily think it's the worst trade in the world, but of course, Bill Ackman has an incredible track record. He is much smarter than me and thinks about these things more than I do. Um, that said, so we need to have some bearish predictions coming in. You would think earlier in the year that you know, some of the crypto assets, Bitcoin being the the main one, would fall with the market. It appears to have broken this strange correlation streak and run ahead of all assets. Uh, I posted this on my Twitter feed, but Bitcoin is now up about 60% year to date. Uh, it, it's pretty wild. I don't know how to make sense of it. Um, I know you have some thoughts on, on Bitcoin and Ethereum and crypto in general going forward. Um, I guess I would ask you, like, what is driving this? And like, what are your future thoughts on what crypto is going to do from here? I mean what what is driving this that uh, i
1: i feel like a narrative is attached to price action and price action isn't necessarily attached to to that narrative. so what's going on? We've seen a breakout of of bitcoin, so now you're just getting at least right now some of the early stages of uh speculative inflows here, so you know as you pointed out the the criticism for for Bitcoin, at least uh, in 2020, up until the last couple of weeks or months or so, month or so, is that it's too closely correlated to uh, the S&P 500 or market indexes and basically is tracking the market. Um, so knowing that there, there isn't a lot of value there, but with uh, the last couple of months and breaking out over that 12K range, uh, you know, Bitcoin now trading at uh, a little below 19K, uh, just bounced off that level, sold off overnight, but we're sitting at uh, 18,600 for the Bitcoin. Um, once that rally gets going, then you know it starts building steam. This is probably one of uh, having seen what we saw in December 2017, you know, the annual timing of of this does seem to line up with that. But uh what really makes the difference here is that it'd been a lot of the same people trading uh Bitcoin for the longest time, but we're only just starting to see uh more retail get involved, uh more more new players. And as been pointed out before, um we're only just starting to see increases in the search term for for Bitcoin. So I think right now what you're seeing is is just heavy speculation, knowing what it's done in the past, sitting so close to that all- time high. Uh, it does seem like an odds on bet that Bitcoin will get there. Um, I think right now the the volatility. Uh, of Bitcoin, at least to the downside, is sort of a, a distant memory, uh, at least for people who have seen that that crazy run-up. But um, all, all indicators, uh, especially on sort of the, the daily, weekly time frame, show that, that Bitcoin is running so hot just outside of um, Bollinger Bands and well above its 50-day moving average. So definitely not a great time to be buying Bitcoin, but the the momentum is undeniable in just this continued upward pace. I think it's reasonable to say that it hasn't even gotten parabolic yet because what we are seeing is you know, some of the big names in investing finally start to uh, vouch for Bitcoin. I mean, big name Paul Tudor Jones uh, coming out voicing his support. Stan Druckenmiller. So the guys that that you know, the investing world takes seriously when they're saying, I think it's it's time to to look into to crypto as an asset class. A lot of these guys are also talking about gold. Uh, but with gold not doing much and Bitcoin really moving and separating itself, decoupling. Um, the the upside potential is is significantly there. I've seen upside targets in in the range of something as ridiculous as 400,000 per Bitcoin. Uh, And that number comes from if you were to give Bitcoin the same market cap as gold, then each one would be worth 400K, uh, which seems a a little ridiculous. Um, But at the same time, there's, is an undeniable amount of upside, but there's also an undeniable risk for some type of correction. So next next dip, I think, is a great opportunity to buy it. But um, right now, it's it's moving up in sort of an unsustainable, unstable level. So if you're holding, keep hoddling. um, If you're looking to get in, I think there are much better plays or different ways to take advantage of this extreme Bitcoin momentum. Uh, and one of which is through crypto stocks, something that not mo- many people know even exists. Uh, and we've talked about them in the past on the show, and very similar to the, the uh, dynamic between gold and gold miners, you know, being able to capitalize on the move in spot price, but with an actual uh, stock, so something with a, a yield uh, and something with a profit and loss, you have exposure to that commodity, um, but in a in, in different way. So getting on Riot Blockchain and Marathon Patent Group, the two, primary uh, crypto mining stocks on um, the the New York Stock Exchange is a great way to get exposure there. Both of which uh, really took off this week. Riot more so than uh, Marathon. Riot almost doubling um, from its, its summer base around $3, um, closing just about $6 on Friday. Uh, but both of these stocks have traded significantly higher in the not very recent past, even though they are at 2020 highs. So if you're looking to take advantage of this Bitcoin move, I think you have a much better chance of getting uh, 2x or even multiple times your return uh, with these, these Bitcoin miners. They are lagging the spot price, uh, but they have gotten a significant amount of volume and are still relatively cheap. Uh, compared to the move in Bitcoin, so right now I'm I'm looking to add to some altcoins. Uh, XRP took off earlier this week. Uh, also, a little bit of Ethereum in my portfolio, but I'm really looking to lever up on on these crypto miners just because I do see a lot of upside. Uh, and they have the potential to move a lot more in the short term if this Bitcoin rally is, is sustained and if we see all time highs. I don't think it's unreasonable to see Marathon uh, over $10 and Riot over $20 potentially before year end. So uh, ticker RIOT, Riot Blockchain, and Marathon Patent Group, M A R A, nice cheap tickers. So it'd be a good chance to uh, get in pretty early.
0: Yep. Uh, the thing about Bitcoin is the, the volatility will pretty extreme relative to kind of other names in the market. Like you think of it, you know, as a $12 stock that went to 20 bucks. I mean, Chef's Warehouse, which I've pitched numerous times in the newsletter has done the same thing multiple times this year, kind of bounced back and forth in a pretty large range. So you could say Bitcoin on a vol basis is comparable to a small cap. That's a a back to work type stock. I mean, I mean, I think about like, Relative to gold, it is pretty amazing. Gold, I think, you know, did the numbers this morning, and I think the median strike price on gold is like a 17% implied volatility. That's lower than SPY. Um, so gold, you know, the expectation is it remains pretty range-bound. Not the case for for Bitcoin, obviously. So the, the fact that these two assets clearly aren't the same thing um, I think is a bit of a head-scratcher. You know, I had Brandon Quidham on the pod, who, who knows quite a bit about Bitcoin, and we had a great discussion there you know, he recommended allocating as a first step, like 90% gold, 10% Bitcoin, um, which I've done in my own portfolio. And it's amazing to see like gold, you know, traded flat and Bitcoin up 10%. So if these things are both supposed to be inflation hedges, uh, clearly they don't, they don't trade the same. So I can't really recommend to anyone who's buying Bitcoin that you should expect it to trade at all like gold. Um, I have no idea what that correlation to the markets to the, you know, the dollar, any of that will, will trade going forward. It's real tough to say. Um, yeah, so but I do like your, your idea. I think uh, you could think of Riot and some of those other names as kind of levered plays on, on Bitcoin that perhaps you see more of a benefit from the up move uh, than the currency itself. Um, I know before we kind of close on our review of the markets and um, the week ahead, you had some other names you wanted to talk about. Um, Alibaba being one of them. I think that you had DocuSign too. So let's get into that
1: yeah, just, just off the uh, the top of my head here. So as I mentioned, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some some downside moves in uh, the S&P 500 uh, in the early week in the pair trade of, of mean reversions, So shorting SPY and being long, uh, those beaten down uh, stay at home stocks has been working out pretty well for the last couple of weeks. So i um, I'm looking to continue that trend uh, into the beginning of this week. Granted, if we do get yet another vaccine pump, uh, I know AstraZeneca is lurking out there, uh, the 500-pound gorilla in the room if they do have an announcement. I feel like Monday is when they'd love to drop that. Uh, but at the same time, it's sort of on brand for the market to like you know, limit down or, or something like that after two successive big Monday gap-up days. Uh, but in, in addition to being short-spy and definitely long ball uh, added to, to my UVXY position on Friday, uh, as that started to, to sort of bottom out a little bit after a nice spike on Thursday. Um, I'm looking for, as I mentioned at the top of the show, some strong moves in Square. And uh, our friend of the podcast, uh, CrowdStrike, um, to, to be making some moves up to all-time highs. So that'd be for Square over 201, CrowdStrike over 151. Uh, and with stocks, when, when it hits a level like that, an all-time high, uh, if it fails to make a move and starts selling off, you want to get out of the way, that's probably going to be a pretty deep correction. Uh, but if it gets over that all-time high and closes above, that's a pretty good indication um, that it's going to be making a significant move higher, so that's a major inflection point to be watching with stocks, especially when you are trading. Is that all-time high level? Uh, even if it is running hot, you know, running overbought according to RSI or something like the the VWAP, the so volume weighted average price, um, it will continue to push higher once the momentum starts building on a big move like that. Um, so another meter version play would be Alibaba, as you mentioned, um, sort of bottoming out around uh, below 260 after the. News that the Ant Group IPO um, had been pushed back uh, apparently by the CCP. Um, We saw Baba make a strong move, uh, gaining 10 bucks on Friday, uh, over 4% move. So, you know, this is one that I think was was definitely oversold uh, and oversold based on news. At least the prospect is still the same, even if that would be a significant windfall. Uh, with that that IPO, but based on that strong move and knowing that Baba is definitely uh, a, a a pretty strong stock to, to keep down, um, that that mean reversion trade, especially above 280, and who knows, could even be back to that 300 level within, within the next cu- a couple of weeks, um, is is a great trade there. Uh, so in the in the tech world, another name continuing to watch is Cloudflare Net. Um, pushing up to and uh, past its its post-earnings surge, so that would be a new all-time high. Uh, and this is one that's just been an absolute beast um, since breaking out of its its sort of consolidation range just below $40, and has doubled since then. Uh, with with uh, technical analysis of of that chart, seeing that it's holding uh, even with that that selling a couple Mondays ago, well, well, well above. Um, That that pre earnings level indicates that, you know, there's still a lot more room left in that move. Um, So I caveat all this by saying with these growth stocks, uh, they're they're great to trade, especially with options because you do get those uh, big moves um, intraday and overnight. But they also present the significant risk of uh, very fast and precipitous drawdowns. Um, so this could easily change next week. Again, these stocks coming up against all time highs. If we do see selling uh, in, on Monday, you know, that does affect um, a broad sector like these at home stocks, then I'm looking to get out of the way and reposition on that dip. Uh, just because several of them have made strong moves, uh, and DocuSign to me is is a, a nice proxy for that stay-at-home play. A lot of people watching Zoom, uh, but to me something like DocuSign um, is just a better way of doing things. Even though it is a lot of the value is tied to the expectation of staying at home, um, the price action since really being super oversold the last the last. Uh, uh two mondays ago shows that there's still you know some some strength there to be found it had traded as high as uh 260 back at the end of august um and trading at about 221 on the closed friday so i think there's room for at least another 10 or 15 dollar move in the very short term on this before starting starting a climb here and a quick note i did want to get into um just a little bit of of trading strategy talk a little bit about how i trade some of these stocks um, when it comes to Square, um, or actually uh, DraftKings is another one I've been trading since um, it hit sort of its its uh, post lockup lows uh, in the thirty five dollar range. Is I like to trade shorter term uh, options here, so that would be like a weekly option as close to the money as I can. And so if I do capture a move, say for example on DocuSign, I was holding a two hundred twenty dollar call. Uh, it opens a little below that level but trades up to $26 that day. Um, The way I like to manage risk there is once it gets in the money, so that means the price is trading above the strike of my options contract, I want to lock in those profits as soon as I can while still staying in the trade. So when it passed over $25, I sold my twenty or $220 call and bought a $225 call. So that way, the option increases at the same rate as the price goes up. However, if it begins to sell off, I lose less value on that contract. So after it hit that $26 mark, it ended up closing uh, below $22. So if I had not taken those profits and moved to a just in the money contract, I would have lost about $400 $400 on that contract price. Instead with the new contract, which is now out of the money, you know I only lose a fraction of the premium. And so if it continues to go down, I can reposition. Um, but that way you stay in the trade without having nearly as much uh, exposure to your in the money contract. So you wanna get a contract that is just maybe slightly out of the money, but as soon as it's in the money and the majority of the value of that contract is the intrinsic value basically how much higher the current strike or current uh, ticker prices over your strike, you want to lock in those profits and so that you don 't risk losing them once it gets in the money, you know the price can and can fluctuate a lot a lot more quickly um, so in situations like this where there could be some type of correction or in stocks that are running pretty fast some profit taking uh, that way i 've got less exposure to that quick drawdown, and I can reposition pretty easily if i 'm very quickly caught off guard so just a little a little trading 101 for my friends out there. want to you know give you a little a glimpse into the the sad, twisted brain of the impervious.
0: That's pretty interesting. I, I, I'm going to get the Greeks wrong, but I think if it's if it's deeper in the money, right, you have a higher delta. So effectively, you're selling a, a higher delta call. You're buying a lower delta one, but I think also more out of the money is higher gamma, so accrues delta at a faster rate. Um, so th- for that reason, would be cheaper. Uh, but I like that. You lock in a little bit of profit, and then you get an option that is also going to gain value faster as the market moves up. Um, sounds like a good way to take some risk off the table.
1: So basically, to, to your point there, and to get into the Greeks, uh, something not, not all early option traders are interested in, um, the, the delta, which is basically how much the price of that options contract increases with the price of the underlying. You want to keep that delta the exact same when you roll forward your contract and take profits. Uh, but entering the trade, I'm looking for a pretty high gamma Basically meaning once something is close to the money, uh, the Delta increases much faster than it would a very out of the money one. So, uh, something is nice to have some, some diagrams, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to, to dish a little, a little knowledge here without, you know, getting, getting too deep in the weeds.
0: Definitely. Uh, but yeah, I gotta try that out sometime for myself. Um, Anything else before we head on to some of our bets? And I believe we also have uh, our classic daily Fantasy Sports stocks game. We, I believe you have a name for it uh, teed up for the listeners. So we can move on to that unless you got any closing words.
1: What, one last uh, name to throw out there. FireEye making a strong move on Friday. Uh, breaking out of its post earnings range, adding a dollar to its its price. It's trading just over $15. This is one I love, just like CrowdStrike uh, for being in the cybersecurity space. I think that's something that is uh, sort of unreasonably connected to stay at home. But um, as the the, uh, international geopolitical landscape gets more and more unstable, I think that um, cybersecurity threats will continue to be an issue and ransomware attacks will continue to be persistent, especially with more people working from
0: home. So a couple friends of the podcast, CrowdStrike and FireEye. I'd also throw out Okta as another kind of nice name to have in that space. Login is forever. I'd like to add to the list of death and taxes as things you can count on. You are always going to have to multi-factor auth or enter in a password or do something to authenticate yourself. There's no better player than Okta in that space. They've also done some some interesting things with zero-day security and kind of expanding into some various uh, security products. So, love Okta, Todd McKinnon, great CEO. Um, he was recently on Invest Like the Best of Patrick O'Shaughnessy, so I would check out that episode if you want to hear more about the company. Um, on to our $100 bet that we made May 1st. Um, have actually narrowed the gap quite a bit, so for listeners not familiar with this, uh, May 1st, Sean and I entered into a $100 bet who could make a better return in the course of a year He picked QQQ, that is the NASDAQ 100. I picked BRKB, that is Class B of Berkshire shares run by the great Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Um, As of that date, uh, Berkshire has climbed all the way to a 24% return. Um, I own this, I own quite a bit of this in my personal portfolio, actually has performed really well, just came out that during Q3, Buffett on absolute dollar basis bought back the most stock he's ever bought in the history of the company. Uh, So clearly he feels pretty bullish about uh, the prospects of the company going forward. QQQ up 36.5%, so you still have quite a large lead. Um, But I I do think the vaccine news tends to help uh, Warren Buffett's companies more so than the tech companies. So as you know, I'm sure the listeners have heard me go back and forth on this every week, but I actually am feeling better than I ever have about surpassing you here.
1: And uh, as as with every week, I feel like we talk about this bet. I'm going to mention that <laughs> I feel like being fourth. Is yet again another another potentially good trade. Uh, seeing them basically do nothing over the last three months and also fail to make a new all-time high as uh, both the S and P five hundred and the Russell two thousand, which has definitely been sort of the market leader, there haven't really mentioned them or given them a little hat tip uh, for for hitting those new all-time highs. But uh, the Q's and, and mega cap tech definitely do look uh, a little tired uh, from carrying the entire market. You know, haven't really sold off, but really haven't done a whole heck of a lot, but I will say, I, I think that uh, my my opinion of our good friend, Mr. Warg- Mar- Margaritaville Buffett has uh, changed a little bit. That uh, it turns out they did sell some of that position in Barrick Gold, making news taking a 500 million stake there. Uh, I thought it was a guy that didn't sell, is a buy and hold guy, but uh, looks like he is maybe not as, as bullish on uh, gold miners, or maybe you know he's trying to swing his clout a little bit. Disappointed that there wasn't as much piling in, but you know I say to that. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta, you know, have a little more conviction there, Warren. Also, exiting a significant portion of the Apple position. So he's probably looking for some more, some more barrel makers, some Coopers or some some fish pickling uh, uh, factories to add to his portfolio. Uh, seeing you know the the opportunities there as as we enter sort of a post apocalyptic uh, wasteland phase of the this capitalist cycle. So not really sure what Warren's doing. Not sure he knows what uh, where he is at this age. Still one of the greatest traders of all time, but uh, I don't think still uh, the the same sort of uh, market savant. Um, at least in this day and age uh, with, with stay-at-home and COVID and everything sort of passing him by there. So Qs, still a better play. Value will have its day, but uh, once I get done shorting the Qs here, they'll, they'll be back in action and, and you know leading the market to new higher highs pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I'm contractually obligated to do my piece defending the greatest investor in the history of the world. There have been many times that people have counted Berkshire out. It didn't quite keep pace with some of the swinging stocks of the 60s, 70s, 80s. It's been left for dead a lot. You can't debate its track record over the, you know, since its inception, it's probably the greatest stock to have owned of all time or, or close to that. So, you know, the, the, the kind of old names you mentioned, I mean, maybe own like a pest control company or, or some company that has a wide moat and, you know, good tool addressable market and can grow for years on end. I actually think a lot of the software as a service names probably can't say the same thing. I think when we're 10 years from now, some of the names we've discussed on this podcast may no longer exist and they have destroyed a lot of shareholder wealth. So, you know, as a Berkshire investor, I'm much more confident in the kind of continuity of the companies he owns than some of the high-flying tech stocks, although, you know, I stand by those too and I wouldn't own them if I didn't believe in them. Um, but again, it, you know, if you want kind of lower vol, higher more dependable companies, I don't think there's a better place you can be uh, than with the the Oracle of Omaha. Um, right. good.
1: Not like shorting stocks, which kind of blows me away. I understand not wanting to short stocks, but the the downside trade when when done right, just such big juicy girthy profits instead of you know looking at a very red portfolio and, and watch lists. So you know I, I hope that uh, even if he hates all these these great growth stocks that have been really killing it the last couple of months, uh, you know you could find a way to at least profit on the downside when his Ultimate Vision comes comes to fruition.
0: I will say one thing on that that some people may find interesting. So I've been listening um, on Spotify. They have an entire podcast channel that's just all the Berkshire Hathaway calls from 1994 to the present day. It's just been going through them. Um, There was a question I think asked, it might've been like in one of the early 2000s ones, but the the shareholder essentially asked like, why don't you short stocks? And Buffett was like, you know, Charlie Munger and I have discussed at least a hundred names that we thought were frauds. All of them did eventually turn out to be frauds, but we would—they went 10x higher, you know, something insane like that before they kind of turned to the downside. So you think about something like an Enron in, in 2001, which is figured out in a ton of the calls. Like, yeah, there were people calling that fraudulent, and the stock traded, you know, two x up from there. Um, same with a number of other frauds. We could think about Wirecard being one, right? Like Wirecard, kind of the most recent fraud in our lifetime. That as early I think as like 2012, people were kind of pointing the finger at that. Um, you know, it's it's much harder to be right on a specific small timeline than it is to just be right overall. And obviously when you short stocks or even, you know, trade puts, um, in many cases you do have to carry margin and get charged interest on that. So I think Buffett has, you know, he knows where his core competency lies. It's not in calling the market. Um, so I think he's done a good job kind of staying within his zone and not shorting stocks. But, you know, for those who can do it well, as you said, there is incredible opportunity.
1: Well, last thing I'll say here is, you know, how can you call him the best investor of all time? And if you are invested in these managing money, how can you know that he's
0: done enough if he's never cried on TV? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I mean, you can invest in. he Ackman has a SPAC. He also has, I think, a uh, a fund you can put that's publicly traded. You can put money in. So maybe we should have all our Berkshire money and uh, and Bill Ackman's funds. Uh, well,
1: yeah. Better that that he would cry on on TV. Just that you know he gets this commission
0: that that's a true kind of devotion to the shareholders uh, i quickly round out two other bets we have so MGM versus CrowdStrike um, MGM actually had a pretty nice week um, is up 21% since August 10th when we made the bet however CrowdStrike has done it quite a bit better uh, 50% uh, the final bet which I hope people are, are familiar with now because I talk about it way too much Crocs versus Skechers. Crocs, I think this was its best week in a very long time. I think it traded up like 14% um, on this week, uh, including a 5% up day on Friday. Crocs is up 50% from August 10th on. Um, it's, it's narrowing in on all-time highs that it last traded at in like the late 2000s. Um, Skechers has managed a meager 11%, so it looks like I'll win at least one of our three bets. Uh, Crocs just has been a great name for me. I'm really happy to own it. The beloved shoe brands. Definitely. All right. Closing out with our Daily Fantasy Sports Stocks game. Uh, You had a name for it? What, What are we calling it now?
1: We're calling this, ladies and gentlemen, Wall Stars, the Wall Street DFS extravaganza. So, What we've got here is if you play Daily Fantasy Sports... Then we're doing the same thing here just with stocks. So, you know, daily fantasy sports, you pick a lineup for all of the players that are playing on a certain day. Each one has a salary or a price and you just fill up your roster as long as the total cost of all those players is less than your salary cap then you are good to go. So what we have here uh, to remind the listeners uh, are a number of tickers and we have a proprietary algorithm uh, for calculating the the salary for each of these stocks. Um, and you just build a lineup of six of them, correct?
0: Yes, you are. They can be long or short. I don't know if we made rules around the maxing out of longs or shorts. Are you able to be fully long or fully short if you want? No restrictions around that?
1: So pick either long or short on each as long as the salary is less than 50k and we're good to go we'll be posting uh these salaries online if you'd like to test your stock picking skills against the uh best stock talkers on this podcast then we we definitely welcome that um and have gotten some some great weeks from listeners such as uh mr mike bush great 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 player there so uh we'll continue expanding here but we got a couple of picks ben who are you liking to be uh, putting up the most points moved over the next week.
0: So I kind of went contrarian to where I stand uh, as like a long-term market forecaster. I think this week, uh, definitely, we may see some some weakness in the vaccine names. I think you can only run so far. Moderna is almost an $100 stock. When it was a $60 stock, we saw Insider selling. So I decided to short Moderna. That's $11,500. Uh, to be clear, listeners, if, if you see a name kind of in that anywhere from ten grand to fifteen grand range, it's usually the most expensive name on the board. I think Moderna was, was top five this week. Um, went long SPY. I think even though we might see some weakness in um, back to work, I think overall market remains strong, specifically in the in tech and some of the other sectors we've been seeing. Mercado Libre at at nine thousand four hundred. That's another long. Um, again, e commerce. I think this is the Latin American equivalent of Shopify. Uh, I own it in my personal portfolio. It's had quite a good run. Uh, gold at 4,200, that's a value name, continue to stay long. Um, FedEx, this was an interesting one, 7,700. I, I actually didn't know, so I looked a bit at the Russell 2000 um, over this past weekend. And, the, and FedEx is actually like a top 10% performing component um, in the Russell 2000. It's had a really strong run. So I think with the holiday season, um, we should see kind of a, a bid on FedEx. And finally, Walmart, same reason, at 5,000, another value play. Um, so continue to be bullish on the holiday season and think we see some weakness in kind of the biopharma as the excitement fades around vaccines. So mostly long, but do have a short Moderna position there. Uh, Sean, what you got this week?
1: Love it. Love it. Love the short Moderna trade. I feel like that's paid a lot better than, uh, you know, getting lucky with with any of these news-based pumps. Uh, but for me, I'm going back to the well, looking to uh, keep keep working with what's worked so far. So uh, I'm looking to, with my very high salary pick, the IV at way jacked up, uh, looking to go long with CrowdStrike with earnings coming up the beginning of December, so run-up potential. Also, sitting just below the all-time high, so a second test there and uh, acceptance above that all-time high. I think we definitely got a 10 or 15% banger uh, coming up, not too dissimilar than, from the move we saw in uh, Fastly, we saw a $30 move before uh, that news of the um, TikTok and, and bike dance. Um, pulling out of their business there, uh, but otherwise I'm looking to get long on Square. Also sitting just below an all-time high, is running a little bit hotter. But uh, Square has been pretty unstoppable. Um, that and CrowdStrike have definitely been my my two most consistent long trades. Uh, and like I mentioned at the top of the show, Baba great mean reversion opportunity here. Still trading well below uh, the 50-day moving average. Um, but I'm going with a little bit of a cash line approach here. I want to hedge against my uh, my longs and uh, looking for those big long moves because I do see the potential for weakness. So I'll be going short spy. Uh, I'll be going long volatility. I don't know if we have it on the list there, but hopefully with UVXY, uh, which is a levered version of the VXX or VIX volatility uh, ETN. And then last short Uber, which a brief, brief diatribe. I hate this stock. Let me, let me talk about Uber. was the last time you took an Uber, Ben?
0: Oh, uh, not since February, dude. It's been a very long time. Right. Who's, who's, who's taking an Uber, You know, first of all? Second of all,
1: uh, no one's actually driving them anymore because one is time to get paid more just getting unemployment than driving one. And it has been on an unholy tear basically since the news that uh, California was walking back uh, their legislation forcing Uber drivers to be employees, which not even the drivers wanted that. Uh, and the stock has, has been up um, over 50% since then um, riding way above, um, over $10 above its 50 day moving average. Uh, it will not die. It will not go down. And this is one that is basically being held afloat by the CEO, Dara Kashinawara, just basically saying, we will be profitable. I promise Pinky swear, uh, without really much justification there behind, you know, why this is not just a a cash furnace, uh, and a total boondoggle for, for investors. Like if you're in it, please sell, please, please take your profits. You've earned it for winning this long in such a garbage stock. But I definitely think the, the prospects for Uber are way, way overblown, and one I'm very
0: not bullish on. Definitely not at these prices. I would like to add that Dara is an IAC alum. Uh, used to run Expedia, did some great things there. So I do trust in his incredible management capabilities. I do think, though, I mean, maybe the stock is rallying on, on Uber Eats potential. I mean, DoorDash IPO, I think, in the near future. Their S1 came out. It looks like their their loss is getting a little bit smaller, which made some investors relatively bullish. If Uber could simply spin off the rides division and just go with Uber Eats, uh, maybe there'd be something to look forward to there. But I tend to agree with you. Uh, not a whole lot of bright spots on the horizon for this company. I think the business model just remains a little bit flawed.
1: And uh, we, we talked about this a little bit on our uh, offsite uh, conference um, at the the impervious compound a few weekends ago, but uh, I feel like any tailwind there with with Uber Eats is is way overstated because just about any restaurant that's interacted with Uber Eats or any of those uh, delivery apps absolutely hates them. So I don't think there's a lot of growth prospects with something that's so parasitic and uh, so hated by uh, the industry. It doesn't service, but work with so I'm sure people are using it, but what, what, what is the real benefit gained there by, by having to pay an uh, insane upcharge just to get delivery when, you know, the, the, the restaurant would just love to deliver for, for themselves. And also a pretty crowded marketplace there. Not very difficult to make a delivery app. That's not exactly, uh, you know, some, some golden groundbreaking IP. So not, not, not a lot there unless they magically pull a self-driving car out of their butt, then um, I, I really don't see it for Uber.
0: Fair enough. I, I kind of want to go contrarian based on that. That was such a, uh, such a dire forecast and so, such a passionate short thesis uh, makes me want to go long. So you know, maybe I'll take the other side of that trade.
1: I, I will bet you, and we got to get the time frame right here. I know stocks only go up, but I will bet you that in a year's time, Uber technology is trading below 4843. And we can do that on a market cap basis in case there is a, a split or something.
0: Let's add to the list, buddy. I I, I think uh, I'm so pulled up on 2021. I can't help but think that uh, Uber will be higher at the end of that period. All righty. I think we're about at time. Uh, Any closing words for the listeners before we wrap up?
1: I just, yeah, as with anyone else, look forward to 2020 being over, but look forward to regretting that and only finding out that 2021 is even worse. But until then, we have the joy of, Some great time with our families fighting over Zoom, uh, having surreptitious presidents uh, or presents delivered to us, maybe even presidents delivered to us, uh, with Santa not coming down the chimney, uh, instead probably mailing packages uh, and hopefully wearing a mask while he does it. But this will be a holiday season. Hopefully you get to spend it with your loved ones. uh, And hopefully, you know, I am one of your your loved ones.
0: And uh, that's about all I got to say. Remember, if you are hosting a Zoom, you are allowed to mute participants. That is something you can't do in real life that you do get in the virtual world. So that, that's a nice kind of feature of the platform. Yes, but nobody can cut you off uh, if by Zoom calls. So, you know, that, that's about all you got. The only reports is the mute button. Welcome to the new button. All right, buddy. Happy trading. Well, then, happiest trading, brother. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com. Thank you.